I wanted to talk a few minutes this evening about finishing the race, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And I noticed in that last hymn we sang, I don't know if you noticed it, He hideth my soul. The last verse, His perfect salvation, His wonderful love, I'll shout with the millions on high. And that, that thought is reiterated in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The millions on high surround us already. This is what the writer says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Finishing the race. It seems to me that most of us here this evening have been followers of Christ for a long time. And the challenge is to continue our faithfulness and perseverance. Not just those high mountaintop experiences, but throughout our lives, just to be faithful. Because it's not the mountaintop experiences that challenge us, it's it's life down in the valley where the difficulty lies. And if we can hang in there faithfully through those times, then we'll be found faithful. Let's bow together. Father, help us to persevere. Help us to finish the race because it's not what lies behind that's so important, but it's what lies ahead. And you have great things in store for us. Help us be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me see if I can help you get this picture in our minds. I want you to imagine every person here this evening wearing running shorts. Those little nylon running shorts. It's not a pretty sight, is it? But imagine all of us standing at the starting line and the gun goes off and with one big surge, we all take off in a sprint. And you're feeling strong and your legs are turning and life is good and the wind is in your face and you're moving as fast as you can and everybody is moving along with you. But somewhere along the way, you become exhausted and your legs grow weary and fatigue begins to set in maybe uh, 10 feet from the starting line. So do you push through? Do you go on in spite of the strain and the pain? Or do you say, you know what? It's not worth it. I think I'll just quit. There are some wonderful days in the life of a Christian. And, I, and you can probably remember the day you were saved. I remember the day I was baptized when I was seven. I remember the day I rededicated my life and the call to the ministry. I remember all those days. But for most of us, we've been following Christ for a long time. And if you've learned anything, you've learned the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon, isn't it? And I want us to focus how we can sustain what God started for us, how we can sustain it in the long haul. And I want us to look at a group of people who are very similar situation to what we find ourselves in. And it's in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. These first century Christians all had Jewish backgrounds because it's in Hebrews. That's what, that's what the book means. They met Christ. They got off to a great start. In fact, one writer at one point says to these Christians, don't ever forget those early days when you first learned about Christ. 
Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering? He says, don't forget, but now they're in danger of going back. They're considering throwing in the towel and walking away. Things were getting hard. There was pressure from the outside to go back and return to Judaism and to turn their back on Jesus. So the writer of Hebrews pleads with them not to do that. And it may be hard for us to to capture the emotion of what this preacher in Hebrews is saying, but I want you to imagine this pastor who is just imploring his people, please, he says, don't quit. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And this, this passage is a great pattern for how you and I can sustain our walk with Jesus over the long haul. The first thing I want us to see is that we will find strength from those who've gone before us. The Bible is not just a history book. The Bible is relevant and living and active for us today. And so the writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses to this life of faith. And when you see therefore, I heard a preacher say one time, you need to see what it's there for. Look back at chapter 11 because it relates everything in chapter 12 to what happened in chapter 11. And chapter 11 is called the roll call of the faithful. He's pointing us to that chapter. And it's kind of like the all-stars of Christianity. The heroes of the faith and some familiar names and some not so familiar names of people who have one thing in common. An unswerving faith and belief in God. They would not quit. They would not forsake following him. Sometimes they were ridiculed. Sometimes they were mistreated. God called them to leave their families, some, and go off to a foreign land. Some of them paid the price of giving their own lives to follow Christ. It says of them that all those who were listed were still living by faith even when they died because they ran with endurance. And when they died, they were clinging to their commitment to follow God. For most of these courageous men and women, there was no outward or visible reward for their life of faith. They followed God. It didn't mean they were going to live a life of comfort or prosperity by any means. Matter of fact, a lot of times it was just the opposite. Their faith meant sacrifice and hardship. And God thinks so highly of his people. He says the world was not worthy of them. The world, they were of such a higher caliber of faith that he says the world wasn't worthy of them. This great cloud of witnesses, this is the life worth living. They are witnesses to their faith in Christ. So this writer of Hebrews, I've got this picture in my mind. He's addressing his church, his audience, and they're considering turning their backs on Christ And he pleads with them and he challenges them. He says, can I get a witness? Is there anybody here who can testify? Is there anybody in this room that has found the courage to stay faithful even when it's hard? And I can just envision hands going up all over the room and people who are listed in Hebrews 11 would step forward and say, when you're tempted to throw in the towel, I endured. I did it. And when it was long and hard, it was worth it. When you feel yourselves drifting, read about David and his passion because David could testify that it's worth it. When you're fearful to obey God, read about Abraham and Isaac because they're witnesses to the life of faith and perseverance. The great people of faith are not just limited to Hebrews 11, though. You can read the biographies of faithful men and women 
all through the Bible and all through other books. As a matter of fact, if you want to grow in your faith and perseverance, hang around some people you know who have a passion for God. Whom do you know that when you're around them, it just encourages your faith and your passion for God heats up? Someone, let that come to mind. Whom whom do you know has a, a strong desire to follow Jesus? And you want to stay on fire for God? You want to sustain passion for following God? Hang around other people who are on fire. What person of faith and godliness can strengthen my walk? Who can I line up my life alongside? Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's somebody in your class, your Sunday school class, that shared a testimony that's encouraged you. Maybe it's a friend or somebody that when you're around, your faith expands like a balloon. Spend time with them. And they will encourage you. People who've gone before and been familiar. I know I've told you this story before, but every time I, I think about someone who was faithful, I think about Mr. Turner. I don't know why my mom took me to visit him, but I was, I was, good. I was probably six, seven, eight years old. And here was a man who laid in bed day in and day out. She told me that he lifted something too heavy in his earlier years and Broke his back, I think. And there was pressure on a nerve and he was in constant pain. And yet throughout that, he was still a vibrant testimony for Christ. And I think about his wife who stood by his side throughout all those years, how faithful she was and what a faithful witness to Jesus she was. Maybe my mom was trying to teach me something about perseverance by taking me to see Mr. and Ms. Turner. So think about those who've gone before. Second, the writer says to put off that that trips me up. Lay aside every weight and every sin which so clings so closely. In every kind of athletic event, excess weight is not good unless you're a sumo wrestler. And then it's fine. But I've, have you noticed the Olympics recently? How swimmers now wear these suits and shave their heads. Um, Bicyclists wear streamlined bikes and hats that go back, helmets. Um, Runners, what they wear, everything they wear is designed to minimize weight and cut down on wind resistance. Everything. There was a man in London a couple years ago who participated in the London Marathon And history records it as the slowest marathon of all times. He finished his marathon, how much is that, 26 miles? He finished it in five days, eight hours, 29 minutes, and 46 seconds. Unlike the other runners who were wearing shorts and tank tops, he was wearing uh, a deep sea diver's suit. Full metal helmet and all. And he did it as a fundraiser. What a great picture of us who are running the Christian race. We've got a lot of unnecessary baggage. And and the writer here says basically there are two kinds. One thing we need to let go of is that which is ungodly. Let go of sin. When I read the Bible, it brings me face to face with my own shortcomings. And I see the darkness and ugliness that dwells within. And sometimes it's painful, but it's for my own Good. The writer says to let go of those things that you know are wrong 
Let go of them. And if you're under conviction, there's a reason. Maybe the Holy Spirit is nudging you, pointing out areas of your life that aren't pleasing to the Father. You know it's wrong. You know it inhibits growth. You know it weighs you down and holds you back. But you haven't let go. Is there something you need to let go of right now? There's a second kind of weight. Not only is something ungodly, he says sometimes there are things in our lives that are unnecessary. It's not necessarily a sin. It may not be a moral compromise, but it just weights us down and holds us back. It's not necessary. Something as simple as a life that's so full, too full, there's really no time or energy left to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you have your kids in six different extracurricular activities and there's no time for spiritual instruction in their lives. Maybe it's the hours you waste sitting in front of the TV. Maybe you try to live for Christ, but you still have your own agenda. And part of what it means to persevere over the long haul is that you get rid of those things in your life that weigh you down and distract you and hold you back and steal the passion that you once had for Jesus. You've got to get rid of anything that's unnecessary so that you'll have time to spend with him. All the affairs that distract us from being a soldier for Christ. In order to finish, what do we need to let go of that's ungodly or unnecessary? Thirdly, to run the good race, not only do you look to those who've gone before, not only do you get rid of those things that trip you up, but you've got to choose to persevere. Let's run with endurance. Let's run with perseverance. This race that is set before us. Persevere. Overcome obstacles. And I could give you a list from now until the sun goes down of people who overcame in order to succeed. Nobody who's ever succeeded at anything did so easily. Fred Astaire tried out at MGM Studios in the first memo from his first screen test said, can't act, slightly bald, can dance a little bit. Someone said of Vince Lombardi, minimal football knowledge. Caruso had a teacher who said he has no voice at all, he just cannot sing. Walt Disney, my hero was fired by a newspaper for lack of ideas. Thomas Edison's teachers gave up on him and said he's too stupid to ever accomplish anything. Henry Ford went broke five times before he succeeded. Beethoven was called by a teacher, a hopeless composer, and Albert Einstein was so bad in high school in every subject except math that his teachers told his parents to pull him out of school. In the race for life, God is far more interested in how we finish than in how we began. But we want quick and convenient and instant and fast and efficient. Think of the senior adult whose life embodies perseverance and despite hardships has clung to their faith. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that those who labor in the Lord, their labor is not in vain. So no matter how long the storm lasts, no matter how dark and scary things become, look at Paul 
In 2 Corinthians, he said, I've been in prison, I've been flogged, I've been exposed to death, five times beaten with 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods, stoned, three times shipwrecked, constantly stay on the move because in danger every city I went to, deprived of sleep, gone without food, cold and naked. And he says, and if that wasn't bad enough, let me tell you one thing that's even worse, I had to take care of some churches. It's one thing to be beaten half to death, it's another thing to have to deal with churches. So Paul can say, I can testify I never gave up. None of the hardships had the power to make Paul quit. None of it quenched his passion. Paul says, make a decision in advance that you're going to be steadfast and immovable, no matter what hardship might come into your life. Decide in advance. Don't wait until you're confronted by a difficulty to decide what you're going to do. Just decide now that no matter what, I'm going to persevere, I'm going to hang in there. I remember my last church, I challenged people to make a commitment to come to church every Sunday for one year. A lot of folks made that decision. One Sunday in January, it snowed. And this dear elderly lady showed up for church and I said, why in the world did you decide to come to church this morning? And she replied, I didn't decide to come to church this morning. I decided last fall to come to church this morning. So let me ask you, God wants to keep you to keep on in what area? What do you need to persevere? Where do you need to keep pressing on? Where are you being tempted to quit? And do something about it. Fourth, keep a single-minded focus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I want you to, to notice here, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It doesn't say keep your eyes on the preacher or on your Sunday school teacher or even on your church because all those things, all those people will let you down. It's only when we keep our focus on Jesus and he's the centerpiece of our focus that we'll have the strength to endure this marathon called the Christian life. Because being a disciple doesn't point you to First Baptist. It doesn't point you to people. It points you to Jesus. I know it sounds really spiritual to say keep your eyes on Jesus, but how do you do that? Well, we're about to move into the summer, and the pace is going to pick up. And I, I don't know what's going to happen this summer, but I know, I know this much. If you focus on Jesus, it's not going to happen by accident. In fact, the word focus has the idea of concentration and intention. And when life is a race, you don't develop intimacy on the run. We cram, you know what? We cram everything we can into every hour we have. Somebody said one time, I put instant coffee in my microwave and almost went back in time. <laughs> we live in that kind of hurried sickness and it distracts us. It takes our focus off of Jesus. You know, when you get on the elevator and you push that door close button and, and almost every elevator doesn't do anything. And when you're standing for an elevator and you push that button over, it doesn't make it go any faster. It just makes you feel better. There's a restaurant in Tokyo that doesn't charge you for food. It charges you for how much time you sit at the table. 
And, and people are multitasking now. As a result of our commitment to multitasking, we do things we don't need to be doing at the same time. And we're hurried, not only in our lives, but in our spirit. If you don't believe me, let somebody in Sunday school ask a question and sit in silence for 30 seconds. Just 30 seconds of silence and see, if, see what happens. People get nervous. They get uncomfortable because we have a need for speed and it's setting us up for struggle because speed and hurry and activity drain our souls. But when you look at Jesus, I can't ever remember him getting in a hurry. Going, I can't remember him running anywhere because he was late for something. If you're going to keep your focus on Jesus, you're going to have to have some time alone with him to slow down long enough to hear him because God speaks to us in the margins of life. To hear God and know God, there has to be some space. Margin moments in your day where you can be alone and undistracted. And those times won't only help you grow, but they'll also replenish your spirit. Fifth and finally, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a smile that's awaiting us. The joy that he knew would be his at the end and will be ours too. Wouldn't it be great when you walk into God's presence for there to be a joy that awaits you? A smile on God's face? He looked past the suffering of the cross to the joy that would be his when he was united with those he had redeemed and in the presence of his Father. On the other side of the finish line, this author, I think, is saying, is the smiling face of God. And in this race called life, we need to look up and lift our heads and look ahead to the finish line and keep our eye on the finish line. And when life gets hard and the race gets tiring, we look up and see our, our Heavenly Father there at the, at the finish line just cheering us on. And when you're committed to living your life for God, you can endure the difficulty and the pain because you know that this life is not all that there is. You know that you're created for God's pleasure and there'll be a relationship with Him now and always. In the sixth chapter of the book of John, I want to conclude with this thought tonight. There is a miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 5, men. In addition, there were women and children, so make that 10 to 12,000. And on that day, Jesus took a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish and blessed it and began to pass it out. And the Bible says that everyone ate until they were all full and they picked up 12 baskets full left over. And the next day, the crowds tracked Jesus down again and said, do another miracle for us. We're hungry again. <laughs> and Jesus said, the only reason you're following me is because I fed you yesterday. He goes on to tell them that life is more than just food and physical provision and blessing. He goes on and tries to teach them something about life. And when he was done, those who were gathered around him said, this is a hard teaching. 
And then in verse 66, Jesus gives some tragic words. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and followed him no longer. They went back to living for the here and now. And Jesus turned and looked at his 12 disciples and asked them a penetrating question. He said, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter looked at Jesus and said, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I believe in every day of a follower of Christ, there comes a point where we as Christians need to drive down a stake because people will walk away and people will let you down and life will be overwhelming. But at some point you have to step up and say, I have cast my lot, I have made my choice. With this life that God has given me, I'm going to follow Jesus and I will stay until I reach the finish line. I'm not following because of the blessings. I'm not following because he fed me yesterday. I'm not following because I think this is the only formula for a good life. I follow Jesus because he is who he says he is. And where else would I go? He alone has the words of life. Where else would we go? I hope that as you leave here this evening, you've decided that no matter what comes your way, that you've made up your mind to follow Jesus. Keep your mind on Jesus, it says in verse 3. Put up with many insults from sinners, hostility, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Since we are surrounded, they're urging us onward and waiting for us at the finish line. Let's persevere. Let's bow together. Lord, you have called us to follow you. And for each one of us, that means something different. It means giving up and letting go of what lay behind us and straining forward to what lies ahead. And we have a cloud of witnesses in this chapel right now who for a hundred years have come through these doors and worshiped and served and invited lost people and told them about you and witnessed and ministered and shared and gave and sacrificed and persevered to the end. And they are there looking down saying, don't give up. It's going to be so worth it. Just persevere. Endure the shame, the suffering, the pain, the embarrassment, whatever the world would heap upon you. Endure it because in the end, you're going to be able to look back and see it was so worth it. There's some things we need to let go of that are both ungodly or unnecessary. But you have given us the strength to do that. And so help us follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.